This past weekend, as the sun rose on Shabbat in the Holy Land, and as the Jewish people prepared to celebrate the biblical holiday of Simha Torah, in Hebrew literally rejoicing in the Torah, the unthinkable happened. Hamas, the terrorist rulers in Gaza to Israel's south, carried out an unprecedented attack by air by sea, and by land. More than 900 Israelis were murdered, more than 2,000 injured, and more than 100 innocent people, children, grandmothers, families, were taken hostage by these terrorists. Families have been devastated. Communities have been destroyed. God's people are under attack. Coming to us live from a holy land still reeling, still grieving, and now at war, is Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. In this special emergency podcast, we share an online town hall that Yael and Bishop Paul Lanier, the fellowship's chairman of the board, conducted with thousands of people. Yael shares with us the situation on the ground in Israel, how this attack has affected God's people, and how the fellowship is on the ground, providing basic needs like food and medicine to those who have lost everything, providing security essentials for first responders and the brave men and women defending Israel, and showing God's children that they are loved, that you love them. Let's listen in. Now, Bishop Lanier, would you do me the honor of introducing Yael and take the conversation from here? Thank you, Erica. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to one of the most remarkable human beings I know. I could, because of this occasion, without fault, begin to tell you who she is as a CEO and the president of this remarkable ministry. But who she is first, and she would immediately want you to know who she is first. is a wonderful child of God, a lover of God, a faithful wife to an extraordinary man, a doting, loving, caring mother of four beautiful children and the daughter of a rabbi who many years ago was called and anointed by heaven to provide this platform, this moment, for a time such as this. And from that, I do remind all of us that she leads this extraordinary ministry with able hands, but more, with a brilliant mind, but more, a caring heart, but more. But the scriptures tell us it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. She is most anointed. I introduce to you our Yael. Yael, thank you for taking the time to come, and I suppose at some level you should be thanking us for pulling us, for pulling you away for a few moments from the immediacy of the situation. I thank you for letting me ask you some questions I've been wondering. I think some of our people have been wondering as well. Right now, in this immediate moment, the situation is fluid. No, no, I don't want to do that. Can I do this instead? As a mother of four beautiful children, 
can you first speak as a mother to the mothers, to the parents, to the families? How do we protect our own children in the middle of the madness who are seeing and listening and the enemy would love nothing more than to take our children as prisoners even in their own homes? How do we protect the sanctity of our family and yet remain involved, engaged? Speak to that mother. Wow, Bishop. Thank you so much, Bishop. You always leave me in tears before the call even starts. So thank you for those prayers. Thank you for those kind words. And thank you to each and every one of you for joining. I know everyone is busy in their own life and the most precious asset any of us have is time. So for everyone on the call, thank you for caring so much that you would give me some of your precious time. Let me tell you how I found out about the war. It was on Saturday and Shabbat and what many people call is an island of time. On the Sabbath, I turned my phone off, I turned my radio off, I turned my work off for one day and focused only on family, God, and community. And so I got to synagogue on uh, Saturday afternoon. It was around 1230. And I see a friend and I say, is everything okay? You look a little bit worried. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, Ellie, you didn't hear? We're at war. And I was standing with my two daughters and I bursted out crying. And that's not like me. It's not like me, first of all, to burst out crying. It's not like me to, I've lived through wars in Israel. It's not like me to just get so unexplainably emotional or it makes sense, explainable. But I think my spirit knew that this was different. And all of a sudden, word starts coming in. There are communities down south that are held hostage by Hamas terrorists. There are eight cities, Israeli cities, being held hostage right now as we speak, and it felt like a bad dream. And when I look back at that, one of the hardest things is that I was there with my children, and I wasn't even able to speak. And when I went back to my children after, and I said, I'm sorry that you saw me so emotional that I couldn't even speak. And my daughter said, my 17-year-old daughter said, Mommy, that was the best lesson, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to be within this. And so what we're dealing with now in Israel, since that moment on Saturday, which feels like a lifetime ago, is the equivalent of 35 9-11s when you compare it Mm. to the size and population of Israel. There is no one who doesn't know somebody who was killed. There was, there's no one here who doesn't know someone who was kidnapped and is right now sitting with terrorists as hostages in Gaza. I have a niece. I have two cousins who are deployed right now on the border. In my community, we have a list of 56 fathers, mothers who were sent out to service protecting this country. And so there's no one here. My niece's friend was taken hostage. One of the fellowship partners was taken hostage, which I'll speak about. But when you talk about the children, in the past three days, we've come to the reality 
that in a way there's no protecting the children. We need to be open and honest and tell them. And I think that you can learn from this lesson that we're dealing with in war, something that's applicable to always in life. Because on the other hand, what I'm telling my children is be careful what you look at. You know that we're at war. You know that there's torture going on. And I understand in your heart, you think that by watching it, there's some level of control. There's some level of understanding. But the reality is it's only a level of corruption. Be careful what you look at. And so as a mother and speaking to myself as well, and probably speaking to all of us, it might not be for this situation, but every situation, Be careful what you expose your spirit to, because once you see it, you cannot unsee it. Thank you. Especially in in this world of social media, where everything is so instant and repetitious, we see it over and we see what we've never seen, and we see it over and over and over. And before long, we can begin suffering PTSD, and we've never personally, we can begin suffering it from the United States. We're not in that space. We're not in Israel. But what we're seeing, and to tell me that, give me that stat again, 30 what, 9-11s? Around 35 9-11s. And what, what, what we're saying is when you consider the size of Israel and the size of the United States and the population of both and the devastation, the broken, it's like the United States suffering 37 9-11s. What, what is the, I know it's fluid and I know it's ever changing, but what is the most immediate situation going on right now in Israel? So let me explain to you what's happening in Israel. Um, the fellowship team is the most incredible team in the world. I, mm. I always say we don't have workers. We have servants. Every mm. single person has been working around the clock. What everyone is saying is this is our army duty. This is our reserve yes. duty. Just like the soldiers aren't sleeping, we're not sleeping. We're sleeping the bare minimum in order to function, but we are out mm. there saving lives no less than the soldiers. Because let me explain to you what's happened in Israel. There's always been a a setup, just like in any country, of social first responders. There's the municipal social workers. There's the city workers. There's the mayor. And they're responsible for all the tragedies that happen in the city. If someone home gets hit by a rocket, they're there to help them. If someone's loved one gets killed in terror, they're there to help them. If someone's kidnapped, God forbid, and taken hostage, they're there to help them. If elderly need to be in the bomb shelter and don't have food, they're there to help them. But what's happening now is unprecedented. The people who are supposed to be taking care of the victims are they themselves victims. It's the social workers whose loved ones were killed. It's the mayor whose home was hit by a direct rocket attack. It's all of those responders who are sitting with their own parents in the bomb shelter without food because their homes have been hit. What we're seeing is that the whole level of response has crumbled. It doesn't exist right now. Mm 
And so the fellowship has come in. Our worker in Steroth, the closest city to the Gaza border, which has suffered dozens and dozens and dozens of killings. In this small city, there are still dead bodies laying in the street. There are still uh, terrorists in the city that they're worried are going to continue to take hostages. And our workers are going bomb shelter to bomb shelter, bringing food to elderly because they went in their bomb shelter on Saturday. They haven't come out and they don't have food and water. Our worker in Sterot, Moran, she's going with the one municipal social worker. There's a rule that two social workers have to go to inform loved ones of their family's death. She's going to inform them. And in the center in Sterot that they set up in order to uh, identify bodies and tell loved ones that, the, that their family member has been killed, they asked the fellowship to come with basic water and food for them because they couldn't even get that together. The system has been destroyed. And so the fellowship is there rebuilding it, acting, looking at the needs. And we've created a system that slowly, slowly already we're starting to see the national and local government can come into. So we're assessing the needs from top down. We're in the in three different areas, three different populations that we're focusing on. We're focusing on helping evacuees, people whose homes have been hit by rockets or burned down by terrorists. They left with nothing but the clothing on their back. And when I mean that literally, I'm saying that we have had people come to us barefoot, that they don't have shoes. We're helping emergency first responders. There have been ambulances that were captured with the people that are now in the Gaza Strip. The fellowship donated two bulletproof ambulances to this area. We still don't know if our ambulances are right now with the terrorists. We need first responders helmets. We need flashlights. We need bulletproof vests. Yesterday I was watching the live news of primetime in Israel, and they were showing a, a firefight that was happening between Israeli forces and terrorists. Well, the Israeli forces person who was lying on the ground and responding with fire was wearing a fellowship vest, a oh fellowship my. bulletproof vest that was saving his life on live television. And so these are the basic needs that we have. Of course, there's a need for shelters. The fellowship already placed 30 shelters. So we'll go into in our conversation all the different projects that the fellowship has been doing already, even in the past three days. But what we're doing is creating and filling, creating a structure and filling a void that until it can be met again, we will be there to save lives. Yeah, El, just, just since 48. We know the 67 Yom Kippur and, and, and attacks. What makes this one so hellishly different, worse? Hmm. Let me, uh, let me, let me start that answer with, uh, with, with the reality that we're facing here. We work with the head of all uh, welfare departments in Israel. We work very closely to the head of the welfare departments in southern Israel on the border for years. We text messaged yesterday the head of Eshkol. It's a region bordering the Gaza Strip to say, how can we help? What do you need? Her phone was in the hands of Hamas because she's been kidnapped and is in the Gaza Strip. The situation is unprecedented in so 
many ways. If you remember Gilad Shalit, one mm-hmm. time Hamas took a captive, a captive, Gilad Shalit, its name, none of us here in Israel and probably many people in the world will ever forget because Israel did everything to bring him home. And we prayed for him day and night. There are right now over 150 Gilad Shalits, Holocaust survivors, tiny babies, mothers with children, teenagers who are at a party. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. And, and the level of not only emotional pain and anguish Mm. caused for every single person who's lost loved ones and is going funeral to funeral from people that they know. On top of that, the system has never collapsed the way that it has now. That you have elderly in bomb shelters who need food. That you have first responders that need bulletproof vests who are in firefights. It's a situation that... I'll tell, I'll, I'll use another example to understand the situation because sometimes mm-hmm. words just can't do it justice. A year ago, when the war in Ukraine began, the fellowship immediately evacuated orphans from Jitomir, mm-hmm. a city in Ukraine. We brought them to Ashkelon, a city in Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, Ashkelon has been under such heavy fire that almost all the buildings around these orphans have been destroyed. And there have been over 5,000 rockets launched at Israel. And so one of the first things that we did now was evacuate those orphans from a Gaza city, a, a border city with the Gaza Strip, mm. to a central Israel city. We moved them to one of the orphanages in central Israel mm. that the fellowship mm. sponsors. Well, when you talk to the orphans and they say, that is more terrifying than what I experienced in Ukraine, it suddenly gives a little bit uh, of context to what's happening on the ground. Yeah, this we, we often talk about the fellowship is more than a humanitarian effort, though it is. It's a ministry. It, it, it's an anointed entity. Yes. And so we have to be able yes. to say... When you're dealing with a Hitler or you're dealing with a Haman or you're dealing with Hamas, this is about more than governments. This is more than politics. There is a demonic obsession to destroy the Jewish people. If they got the land, it would change nothing because it's never been about land. It's about despising and determination to eliminate a people. What do you do with yes. that? As the IFCJ, what, how, how, what do you do with that? Well, I'm going to respond in two ways. The Bible verse, just as you're talking, is in front of my eyes in a more clear way I've ever seen it. Ohave Hashem sinu ra, lovers of the Lord despise evil. That we are taught to love our neighbor. We're taught to give love. We're taught to give the every single every single ounce of, as we say in Hebrew, give them the benefit of the doubt. 
And I think for so long, you know how Hamas fooled the Israeli government and why Israel wasn't ready for this? Because Israel has more and more let more people from the Gaza Strip into Israel to work and earn a living that Israel thought that Hamas was backing off because all they wanted was a good life for their people. Hamas said themselves, the way we fooled them was by making them think that if our people had money and a good life, they would be happy. That's not what they want. They want shihad. And so we are told from God, hate and despise this evil. And our response, Bishop, and I think everyone has their own response. Sometimes it's in prayer. Sometimes it's in ministering. Sometimes it's in finding the Bible verse that God is calling you to specifically. Mm -hmm. Our response at the fellowship is to Mm -hmm. do good, spread life. I lay before you life and death. Choose life. That we don't sit in despair. We don't sit in complaining. We sit in bringing Mm. life. And so when we are, let me, let me give you another story. Cause again, the stories are coming from here for mm-hmm. me to be oh, so yes, much louder yes. than words. We have 17,000 of Israel's elderly that we already identified as the poorest elderly. They live on under a thousand dollars a month. They are over 80 years old. They have no family support. And the fellowship basically adopted them. It's called in Fellowship and Dignity Program, where these 17,000 poorest, lonely elderly, we went to them and we said, we are your family. We're sending you volunteers and we are sending you food every week for the rest of your lives. And this is by Christians in America who love you. Now, these elderly, because they're so poor, because they're so vulnerable, are eligible for around nine hours a week from the Israeli government of home care. So there are home care workers who go to their house for free and get or pay for by the Israeli government, and they give them their medicine, and they prepare them the food that the fellowship delivers, and they bathe them. And these are the only people in their lives who go on a daily basis take care of them. Do you know what problem we're seeing now, Bishop? No. Those home care workers have been killed. Uh, They're no longer alive. And so these elderly oh, are sitting in their shelter without oh, anybody to go and take care of them. No one to bring them oh, medicine. No one to prepare their food. No one to check on them. No one to bathe them. And so the oh, fellowship is putting priority right now on those 17,000 elderly making sure that they have food, going bomb shelter to bomb shelter, bringing them water, Mm. bringing them Mm. their medicine, doing what's needed. And Mm. to me, that's the answer to the darkness. And I Mm. represent millions of Christians and Jews who are saying, my way of fulfilling the biblical commandment, lovers of the Lord despise evil, my way of fulfilling that is by bringing more light to the world. Yes. Yeah, let me ask you something. The fellowship is continuously in the in the absolute worst crises that hits the earth, and saving Jewish lives and saving other lives as well. And there there are great other organizations doing their best, but some are folding. Some are just beginning to find their their footing, their voice. How is it? What is it about this ministry, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews? How is it that we we are able to do all that we're doing when others can't get started yet. It is a great question, and I'm going to answer that in two ways. 
The first way is God. God has sent us on a mission. He's given us a challenge, and he has called us and given us the tools to step up to meet those challenges. That's always Mm -hmm. front of my mind. Everything I do is just a, a power that God has put within me and our donors and our supporters and our prayer warriors and our staff to be able to do. The second side is that it's based on the fact that we have been on the ground for 40 years. We are Mm. ongoing aid. We Mm. have been investing in security infrastructure for so long that we have the connections where we need the connections and we know how to act when we need to act. We have over 4,000 bomb shelters that are on the ground with the Ministry of Homefront Command. Right now, Mm. there's a hospital in Beersheba called Barzilai. It suffered a direct hit yesterday by a rocket, and the fellowship invested in securing the NICU and labor and delivery unit so that they could at least be protected. We have Mm. bulletproof ambulances that we've donated. And so it's both Mm. being on the ground and knowing where the needs are and who to contact. And the second the second thing that enables us to act so quick is that we believe in partnerships. The Bible says two is better than one. And we believe in partnerships. We don't insist on doing anything ourselves. We fill the void ourselves when it's not being met. But we work with medical and first responder partners like Hatsala Nagenda Vida Dom and in food organizations with Latet and Eshel and Leket. I can name you all the partners we have that we are never doing it alone unless no one else is doing it. And that's how you respond to crisis. You don't recreate the wheel because that takes time. You pick up where everyone else left off. Carol, I have to ask you, I I know the focus right now is down south, rightly, uh, with Hamas and Gaza and the anguish and suffering there. But it's not the only place the enemy is going to try. What are we, how are we, are we preparing for what might even be inevitable by Hezbollah up north, Lebanon, and other spaces and other persons we haven't even been aware of part of this equation. Are, are we, what, what's that situation look like? Yes, yes. Keep your eye on the north. Keep your eye on Hezbollah and Lebanon. Keep your eye on Iran. Keep your eye on Judea and mm. Samaria. Um, there's so much that could happen in a Second, and actually, we are always we always say times of peace are not times of peace in Israel. It's times of quiet. And what are times of quiet? An opportunity to prepare for the next war. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, I was standing mm-hmm. on the northern border with another one of our board members, where we were assessing the needs of northern Israel. And some people said, "Yeah, well, the focus is on the south." I said, "Well, by the time Hezbollah and ten thousand fighters go over the border, it'll be too late to." Equal the north with security. And so the fellowship has been working. Even as this war in the south broke out in the past three days, we already placed 10 bomb shelters in the north as well, just as preparation. There were rockets today from the north. There were infiltrators from the north. And we are working, operating, and staying alert on every border to do whatever we can really to be the watchman on the wall, to to look at yes, the words yes. of the scripture and repeat them yes. and say, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort, comfort my people. Millions of Christians and Jews are here to comfort you. 
if I know, I know this is this one last question is, is it possible with all that you're seeing and hearing? Is it possible to to say the number one need is the number two need is the number three, the one, two, three greatest needs I see in the midst of all of this are. Wow. So it's changing by the day. And, mm. uh, but in general, I could tell you for the next week, the number one need is food, water, mm. baby formula. The number mm. two need is helmets, flashlights, first responders. And of course, we need bomb shelters. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for letting us. Letting us be part. Thank you for letting those of us who don't live in Israel be a part of what's happening. Thank you for those of us who are Christian to come to be a part of to step into this attack against the Jewish people. For that's what it is. Again, it's not about land. It's about this demonic obsession with genocide. Thank you for letting. And then today, thank you for letting us take you away from the immediacy of that moment and have this conversation. It's been invaluable. It's helped us so much. Let me say again, all of you who are listening are vital. You are indispensable to what God is doing through this ministry. I say it yet again. We walk in the midst. We walk amongst the ruins redemptively. And you are the redeemers. Erica, I'm going to turn it back to you. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity that we've had to speak with Yahweh. Yes, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Bishop.